always about race. Always. I say, I comment on everything else, but it's always the ones about, it's so interesting how your, um, com how the conversation people let you um, portray is even pigeonholed. When you're even given the seat at the table, you're even pigeonholed into which seat you can even sit in. You can't choose any seat. Nope, you have your own designated seat. And that's not great either, because it's a rickety like stool where everyone has an office chair. When it comes to your career, there really is no one formula for success. And if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today, I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them, and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process, instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the My Career Story podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Now, today's guest is a rather impressive young man. Um, Josh Akabo is the co-founder of creative agency Archtype, um, moving at the pace of culture in merch, design and digital, helping to facilitate impactful moments for Lovebox Festival, Stormzy and DLT. Josh does creative research and insights at Hype Collective, a student marketing agency that works with brands like Co-op, Adobe and Monster. Josh is also part of youth mentoring not-for-profit Joined Up Thinking as their comms and marketing director. He's helped curate projects helping young people, especially young BAME people, to stand out and reach their potential, working with NHS Blood and Transplant, 23 Red Agency and local authorities. Josh cares deeply about the advancement of young people and advancing the important moments coming from culture. He's also studying at King's College London. I have Josh with me today. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Um, thanks for having me. This is cool because this is like the second podcast I've been on in the entire history of me doing podcasts, so it's quite cool. Yeah. Excellent. What was the first one? The first one was like um, stories that stick. It's kind of similar to this, except that one was more of a life story, um, right. which was interesting to tell. But yeah, yeah. this... Um, this will also be quite interesting to tell. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hope it will be. I know it will be. You've just come back from Spain as well, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Um, I was there um, for a year, came back mm -hmm. in um, the end of July, beginning of August. And that was that was cool. But COVID happened. So then I had to sort of cut that trip short um, a little bit. But yeah, it's nice to be back. Well, I mean, it's I'm looking literally at a grey cloud skyline um in this big window in the office now and i this is not what i wanted to see <laughs> i'm looking at a window with the same kind of like cloud and everything as well so let's let's brighten up the day and, and get you going so josh what's your career story yeah so um if i start from um why i'm i was in spain in the first place yeah, so i was teaching english as a language assistant in Madrid. Um, and that was part of my uni. So um, I mm -hmm. do Spanish and management at King's. Yeah. Um, and of course we have to do a year abroad, improve our language skills, all that. I chose to teach. That was a wild experience because um, they kind of neglect the people who are doing 
um, that assistantship program. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot of um, doing things yourself um, and like really making, trying to make it in a whole new country, um, which was cool. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I mean, like, um, so from now I have an agency. I'm a co-founder of a creative agency called Archetype. Um, mm-hmm. We do merch design and digital. We help brands, artists, movements, and more move at the pace of culture. Um, mm-hmm. And that's culture through the lens of like a uh, Latin millennial slash Gen Z or Zillennial. I love that term because it's like, it's the, it's the in-between people. I like that. It's like oh, it's that the no? in-betweeners, yeah. Oh, it is, yeah, no, sort of, I know like, that one, because that, that's where I fall, I think. It's like late 70s, early 80s, I'm showing my oh, that's, yeah. I think... Oh, that, no, oh, that's that, the other that way, one, isn't it? No, yeah, that one way. would be um, Gen... Gen Y... No, Gen, Gen Y would be millennial. Gen X into um, millennial, I think. Yeah, yeah. Be, yeah, I've just yeah. embarrassed myself from my knowledge there, so we'll forget <laughs> about that. So, yeah, and, and how, did the, how did the agency come about? So, we were a clothing company. We started in 2015 when mm-hmm. I was still in sixth form. Um, me and my uh, two good friends, um, we basically were like, okay, we need to make some money because we, we, we didn't have no money in, in, at that time. So we were like, okay, we need to make some money. We naively thought, okay, we can um, do a t-shirt co- um, company. We can print like a hundred tees. We can sell them. We can turn this profit. Didn't happen like that. Um, so we like worked really hard to get like our first few products out. And then all of a sudden um, we found ourselves the year later working on a project with Lovebox and Stormzy. And that was like our first proper account, but we didn't know what it was at that time. We were just working on the project. Um, okay. And then after we did that a few times with a few other people who were like really cool names, then we were like, ah, okay. So we can flip this into an agency. Cause then after that, we'd all gone and done creative industry experience and stuff. And we saw a gap because there's, there's like merchandising companies and then there's Mm -hmm. creative agencies and usually they contract um either of them and then that um, that's a whole bit there but there's no one who like bridges the gap and who actually treats merch like a whole campaign mm-hmm. and wants to what's, actually do that whole thing yeah so, 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 so yeah. people listening what's the difference between the two so um, a merchandising company will generally be a manufacturer who has some kind of design capacity but they'll be more um concerned with uh, the actual fabrics, the garments, um, the clothes they're using, um, having mm-hmm. deals with um, um, factories and stuff um, and actual clothing manufacturers um, to sort of stock their products, etc. Um, a creative agency will be concerned with um, the, well, I mean, I think people, hopefully the audience will be well-versed in knowing what that, is, that does, um, but they'll be more concerned with like the actual campaign, the actual brand that they're working with, all of that sort of stuff. And then they will use merch as a means to an end for mm-hmm. whatever you for whatever you're trying to get. Um, but where we come in is we like the people who we worked with beginning, like events companies, artists, um, like I mentioned Lovebox before, but like we worked with Sam Henshaw, we've worked with um DLT, um, some of the team did some work with NHS as well actually, uh, which was cool. And mm-hmm. um we approach it um as though the merch is the campaign if that's what they want or if they want social and they want digital but as long as it's rooted in culture and rooted in like what 
is going on at the time. That way it can make the impact that people want. Mm. And that impact is always long lasting because it reshapes how people view different projects and different things like that. And that's what we're about. Right. Okay. I mean, that, that's really interesting. But how did you make that movement from, because if you're studying Spanish with, with management, did you say it was? Yeah. So how did you go from that to interest in setting up um, a business that people listening might think, well, okay, well, Spanish with management, how did you make that, that, that jump? Yeah. Okay. So that is interesting because the business whole, the whole business thing came long before I ever thought of um, doing Spanish and management at King's. So mm. I, from when I was like, this sounds like a personal statement, doesn't it? For, since I was five, <laughs> I always wanted to, but really I was even looking back at my, um, at like some memories and things that I kept as a child and I opened it and I saw business cards that I made when I was six oh, and cute. it was crazy. I know. I was like, what? I didn't even know that this stuff still existed. Um, and I was seeing like the different slogans I gave myself and all of that sort of stuff. So I've wanted to have a business for ages. Like first I wanted it to be in real estate and sort of hotel management and that sort of thing. Then into like more city planning, then into like architecture, then into, I didn't even know, like there was uh, music um, and different things like that. Then I just happened to settle on a clothing company when I was in sixth form. At that time I wanted to do law. Thank God mm -hmm. I didn't do that. Then I went to do computer science, left that course. That was in Southampton because that was not a good shout either. And Spanish and management was chosen because I did Spanish at A-level. I was semi good at it. I could wing it. And I needed something to like make up for the business part just so right. I can have that. So that was the management part. And then I was okay. like, ah, Kings do this, select. And I applied late and I called them, I badgered them. They basically said I couldn't get in without doing this ridiculously expensive exam. And I okay. told them, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, did, they, did they not put up a fight? Or? Well, I mean, they couldn't really, because I just kept calling them and I was like, are you sure you have no spaces? Are you really sure you have no spaces? Like, that's not fair. You must have a space. And then eventually they let me in. Yeah. I like the tenacity there and the, uh, the confidence to kind of get yourself in through the door. And how did, so you said you'd made some kind of choices of different subjects there. You said law and computer science. What, what was it about that journey that took you through that kind of like, I'm going to close the door on that. That's not for me. I'm moving on to something else towards where you are today. So I think uh, personally, I find that uh, some of the young people that I meet, are nervous about closing the door on opportunities. They want to open the door on things, but they, mm. they feel like that. Whereas sometimes I feel that that it's just as important to be able to say that's not right for me as it is. I this is right for me. Mm. Yeah, that to be honest, that's a really hard one because everyone always tells you, like from when you're young, when you just want to be good at something, then mm. stick with it and then make a career out of that, or they just throw you into a whole bunch of things and try and make you figure it out yourself or whatever. But closing the door on something, that was, that was, uh, that was just really hard because especially with um, like my degree, um, the first one, I was like, I have paid so much money for this. And I've spent, I, by that point, I spent a whole year, I was revising for my exams. Mm. I had made a life in Southampton. I was on radio, I was doing TV, I was doing like new stuff. Um, and that was all there, but it was depressing as hell. So I was just like, no, I can't do that. Um, 
so eventually I just had to be like no and I knew as well I knew early on that I didn't like it as well I, I knew that I wanted to leave but um, it's actually getting up and saying no I'm not doing it um, and I'm always I'm now one that I will just chop and change if I'm not feeling something then I'm just not it's it's not um, gonna work for me um, unless I mean if it makes sense to do it sure but um, it's got to be passion driven at least somewhat um, otherwise it won't work and I guess other young people it's important to understand that you're not going to be good at everything or you're not going to enjoy everything that you're good at and then to try and find that crossroads with something you're good at and something that you enjoy and then just do that and see how far you can get with it because there's no point in doing something you don't enjoy especially when the way work is set up now there's so much of work that we just don't enjoy that we have to do anyway mm. so might as well try and enjoy some of it yeah and there is a lot of stuff like even the kind of the time that i've spent in the world of work for the last like 10-15 years there's been a change in some of the tasks that um people necessarily don't like and you know that i haven't liked in the past can now be automated so you can mm. spend more time doing things that you love and i know kind of like we're probably similar in some ways that we're both running creative businesses and there is a piece that I find sometimes I'd be interested to hear whether or not you do as well, that sometimes your, your creativity can be stifled by being asked to do things that you don't feel give you that creative outlet. Yes. Um, so when do you do your best work? When do I do my best work? You know what? I don't even know what my best work is. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually very weird. I don't ever appreciate the stuff I do until long after it's done like mm. it's like years after it's done and then i'm like oh wow this was really good maybe i should sing about that um which is why i started an agency four years after we were doing agency work because i then thought oh wow this is a good case study let's use it let's actually try and do something out of it um so it always takes me a while to appreciate that but i guess that's because i'm always looking at it from a business um lens even though i am creative i'm always looking at it from a did this get the ROI that I wanted? Did this do this? Did this do that? But that is so stifling. Um, so I guess really, I do my best work a lot of the time, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I won't ever tell myself that until it's done. So to tell us about some of that work that you've reflected on, that you're, you're proud of, or that has been a milestone in your career so far. Um, milestone, you know what? Career, I feel like I'm too young to have career milestones, but at the, at the same time, I've, um, I mean, I guess the Beamer 100 thing that I was able to be on, that was a career milestone because that was like, wow, they recognize me for stuff that I just thought was whatever. Um, and that, that was really cool because that was last year and um, the event was cool, like back when we could actually go to events. Um, that it was um like i got to meet so many people um i was in the whole list with pe well accomplished people like from crazy crazy brands and agencies and stuff and people who would like actually made change and here i am just with my couple of the couple of things that i do on on a list and i was like wow this is this is so reaffirming um that i'm actually belonging in this industry and stuff um so that was that was really cool, a really cool career milestone. And then some other things that I'd say were um, great that I look back on that I was able to be a part of 
are some of the projects I've done with the youth mentoring organization I work with, Joined Up Thinking. We've done a lot of projects with like, um, well, not only with um, young people, all our projects involve young people, um, but we've done a lot of projects um, with like um, the NHS as well, NHS Blood and Transplant. So um, one we did last year, um, we and last year and this year, because um, the campaign rolled out this year, but we were able to get five young creatives aged 16 to 21 who had never stepped foot in the agency before, um, just based off the stuff that they'd created. Um, they, they, and they were a, that literally a, the most diverse range of everything, um, including their creative talents. Like they could do so many different things together. Um, and we got them in an agency. We actually paid them a competitive day rate um, and we trained them up. And in a week, they turned around a nationwide campaign for the change in law in organ donation targeted at people their age. And I was like, wow. So this is possible. It is possible to be able to do stuff like that. And I think that's that's one of the proudest moments. Yeah, I mean, that, sound, that sounds fantastic. Well done on that. And, and you said you. there that you involve young people in the work that you do. Why is that important for you? Because, you know, I don't even, I don't even know why I started doing that whole young, young person thing. I guess it was just because I was young at the time. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I still am, but like younger. Um, and I was like, okay, young, young people need this, young people need that. And then I found myself just dip, dipping my toe in and then eventually like getting in, in completely in this um, sort of sector. But it's important because every, every single time generations move on and get older and sort of get more um, small C conservative, um, more sort of restricted and stuff, um, in viewpoints, we start to think of the new generation as completely wild. Every single time it happens like clockwork. And we need to stop doing that. Um, and together, together with that, like that's just a, um, na- that's more of a natural thing, but together with that, the unnatural part of it is that for some reason, for many reasons, this current generation, especially Gen Z kids, um, the younger ones amongst them, and the, the new one, I think they call it um, Gen, Generation Alpha or something like that, yeah. but that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the young, young ones, yeah. Um, they are walking into a extremely crazy world that has been made crazier by those of us who are older. And it's our responsibility to help them shape their world to be something that they can live in, that can actually work for them, not whatever we think we've created, because this isn't working. Um, so at least, where I can help in the creative industries and in spaces like this. Um, that's why I'm, I guess I'm so passionate because they, it's, it's really not fair. The amount of things that they're going to have to go through. Like for example, so many people just graduated now and the job market is basically non-existent. Um, I mean, unless you want to work for companies that have managed to profit off a pandemic, which um, in itself is a whole wild thing. So like creative agencies cutting back staff, Everyone is only looking for the most experienced people amongst them. All the roles I'm seeing are looking for senior, 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 but where's all the junior opportunities? Where's all the entry level opportunities when they're actually paid, if they're actually paid? Um, mm. So it's, it's things like that, that, and also opening it up to young people who aren't just your privileged straight white men um, from Surrey, it's always from Surrey, um, who aren't just those guys because the industry is filled with them. And I know that because my LinkedIn is filled with them. It's everyone who I connect with 
who's like 30 plus and who's senior and who's managed to either start their own thing or who's a um, young director of XYZ agency here or XYZ um, marketing director at brand here. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. that. We need to reshape that as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Diversity and inclusion is really kind of like a, a hot topic right now. And I kind of feel like it, it's important, but it, it can be easily forgotten when we focus on the wrong things. Or from my point of view, I have an opinion that the I should come before the D. Um, and that actually from diversity isn't something that we should be doing because it's trendy. It's, in, it's integral to the world of work, to building relationships with our employees, for making people feel like they want to come to work every day, that they're contributing, that they're valued, um, that they're recognised for the work that they do, not the colour of their skin or who they choose to kind of love or their ability or disability. Um, whether or not they come from a particular background. I know you're doing some work yourself, aren't you, to kind of help with the, the diversity piece. So tell us more about that. Yes. So um, I'm attempting to create a group. Well, it's created, but I'm attempting to grow it even more. A group of black agency founders. Um, and that is such an interesting thing because I've been thinking about it since um, like midway through the actual lockdown that we had. I was thinking why is there not a group of black agency founders because talking to other agency founders is great but it's not the same mm. and there's so many more challenges that i can't delve into oftentimes when i'm talking about that because of where i come from and because of my background myself like for example i don't have the, and also my age like next time in the next life i'm totally not starting an agency at 22 i'm not doing that again oh my gosh that's just so much stress i'm doing that again <laughs> but um it's worth it but i'm not doing it any second time no um but like there's so many other things that come with running an agency that you have to think about when you're black for example people looking at my agency as a, as a diversity and inclusion agency it's not just because we have black founders does not mean that's our it's it's not the same thing um and the work we get, the people, um, the people who see us, the um, the comment, the comments that even go viral on LinkedIn that I make, um, or Twitter that I make, always about race, always. I say I comment on everything else, but it's always the ones about. It's so interesting how your um, com how the conversation people let you um, portray is even pigeonholed. When you're even given the seat at the table you're even pigeonholed into which seat you can even sit in. You can't choose any seat. Nope, you have your own designated seat. And that's not great either, because it's a rickety like stool where everyone has an office chair. Um, and just because you're at the table, you feel great, but it's, it's, not, it's not the same thing. So I wanted to create a group where there were other agency founders who had gone ahead of me, who had um, been running things for like years and years and years, and also agency founders who, who um, like are just starting up or who are just launching to like pull resources share their experiences, um, grow together, um, connect and do all of that in one forum and just bring different topics. It doesn't have to be about the ad, ad land or whatever. It can literally be about anything that they feel is relevant. Bring a topic, bring an opportunity, bring this, bring that. And that's, that's how it runs. And so far, so good. We're nearing 40 members. Um, we're using um, Guild, um, which is like, 
um, a professional messaging app for it, which has um, been going really good as well. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking for different ways to grow it, thinking of creating a few satellite groups as well for people who don't quite fit into the black agency founder mo model, but who mm -hmm. still want to benefit from a group like that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. And I really, I really like the way that you were talking about the seat at the table there. I think that's absolutely bang on. Um, so there is, there's a piece, it's speaking to, forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but I'm thinking it's speaking to kind of the issue of kind of representation, and, but not necessarily just being there because you are a certain type of person. And there is a danger sometimes I find that with um, diversity groups or identity groups within organisations that everybody just, it, it becomes an echo chamber because it's just everybody mm. that identifies with that, which is great. But you need, in the same way that, I identify with the LGBT community and there's allies within there. You need people within there to be able to have a conversation and take it outside and move it forward as much as you need the people that are having that lived experience and, and sharing it as well. Um, and, and kind of like, I suppose, speaking to that, like, has that been, has been something that you've faced throughout either the, your education that's prevented um, you from achieving what you wanted? I mean, you seem to be a very intelligent, articulate, and kind of a very um, successful young man. Um, but that might not be the case. There might have been things that have kind of you've experienced along the way to get to this point that you might want to share. Mm. I mean, is is interesting because I've I mean I've always been like this I guess I've always mm. like I've I've always yeah my accent's kind of weird because it just it reflects all of the cultural influences that I grew up around so it will go man. yeah it will go into like um, if you chat with me for long enough we'll delve into an American accent we'll delve into a Nigerian accent we'll delve into an Australian accent we'll get we'll just wherever the comedic timing comes in that's where the accents will come in. Um, the yeah, Spanish, if you mentioned you're studying Spanish for management and you didn't mention Spain, then I can't do a Spanish accent when they're speaking English. <laughs> I wish I could, I just can't do it. I tried so hard, I can't do it at all. I can only do a Spanish accent when speaking Spanish, which is boring because uh -huh. no one understands me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, like in terms, in terms of like me, I guess I've as, as a person, I've been like this for a pretty long time. But in terms of how people perceive me and how people view me, it's really interesting. So um, sort of you mentioned um, like um, your, uh, your perception of me as intelligent and articulate. And thank you, by the way. Um, but it's, it's interesting how that's sort of taken by different people. So by white people, they view that as, oh, I'm not like those other black people. But black people view that as, oh, this boy is way too posh or way too this or way too that, which is highly interesting. And all of that mm. is just a construct of how we view white people under white supremacy and how we view whiteness as the standard. And we need to stop doing that because mm. it limits everybody. Just because someone sounds like they grew up in inner city London doesn't mean that they're not smart. Just because someone sounds like me doesn't mean that I am smart. I am very stupid in different things that I do, but hey, we're all human. That's the whole point. Um, so even rethinking that, like um, that's something that used to happen to me all the time growing up. I would, um, even when I went to um, uni in first year, the things people would say, which was so, was so interesting because I wasn't in London then. Um, 
and people would be like, oh, you sound like a, just, you sound like a regular black guy from London. I'm like, no, I, I, I don't. I actually know that. But it's the, it's how people look at me. And then when I'm speaking on the phone versus when people see me, the surprise, the difference, even my hair, my hair is now in a messy Afro thing that's kind of just concocted. But like um, when I have my hair in cornrows or twists, the perceptions are completely different. Or where I, when I wear a do-rag, the, the perceptions are completely different from this. This makes me look like a child and that's fine. But it's a lot less, people are a lot less, I don't know, tempted to cross the street when I'm walking by um, when I, my hair's like this than when my hair's in twists or in cornrows and I'm wearing all black. Um, or something like that's, that. It's that's really interesting. I and mean, when you came on camera at the start before we hit record, I was kind of like, oh, his hair's changed. Because the last time I saw you, you had them in the car, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and I would admit, even then, I was just like, oh, wow, it's completely different. But I hadn't exactly. that perception. And then, like, maybe it's because I knew you before. But um, I, that's, I mean, that's, that's such a challenge. And people, like, the way that people perceive others is just a whole other conversation as well, isn't it? But it's it's difficult when it comes to talking about um, diversity inclusion because everybody, and I think that's why why I was really attracted to the work that you're doing with um, setting everything up with your community is that it's it's really reinforcing the idea of like people and their diversity of thought rather than um, where somebody comes from or what mm. they look like what somebody thinks they should look like or how they should behave yes absolutely absolutely that because it's not just about being from a marginalized group because there are so many people who are from marginalized groups who either don't want to do anything in diversity and inclusion because it's not what they're good at or it's not what they should have to do and that's fine like if you just want to focus on creating or doing your actual job that is fine but then there's also people who are from marginalized groups who use their identity to make a brand off of the fact that they're apparently diversity and inclusion specialists when they do nothing to actually move the needle to actually shift to change the narrative they do nothing to do that like there are now this is going to sound wild there are black agency founders out there who do not hire black people and you can tell when you look at their team page because there ain't no black people on it and I'm just like, okay, are you, is this something that, that, that you never noticed before, I don't know, George Floyd died? Is this, is, or was murdered? Is this something that you never noticed um, before 2020? Or are you now just picking this up? Or have you been doing work before that we don't know about? Um, so it's, it's little things like that that make me feel, so long as we're all going towards the same goal, I don't care who you are, that's what the standard should be. It shouldn't be that we, have a whole industry, a niche industry for diversity and inclusion. Why do we need to have that? It should be embedded through every single sector of our employment. Through We don't even think about how diversity and inclusion can affect finance, how people, some payroll start six weeks after you join the company. Why is that happening? People from, people from working class backgrounds will not be able to afford to work for you if they're not getting at least a sign up something for them to be able to afford to go to work. People, employers thought about paying people's travel so they don't have to get their own travel cards. Some employers do, some employers don't. Paying freelancers on time. Freelancers are often economically disadvantaged when they're starting out, especially if you're hiring more junior freelancers. Um, stringing people on temporary contract after temporary contract after temporary contract because you're not sure if they're the right fit for your company. Mm. All of that stuff, that's why 
diversity and inclusion, or as you've rightly said, inclusion and diversity should be embedded into every single part of a company because that's what it's about. So it's not about you being a marginalized face and saying, oh, um, I don't know, writing a piece for campaign about DNI and then not doing anything for it for like the next 10 years. That's not, that's not the point. The point is if you're going to try, try with all your might and actually shift it, you don't, don't do it for any sort of image or any sort of just because I'm from XYZ group means that I'm going to do XYZ thing. And it's the done thing. It's the trendy thing. So diversity of thought is definitely, definitely something that I like. I mean, I, I don't just like it when people say diversity of thought and they just as a cop out to not actually do DNI properly, but diversity of thought in terms of we need as many thinkers to help us fix this problem as possible. And we need to come at it from a whole different ball game than, we, than the one we've been playing right now. Um, so, yeah. No, we do. You're right. And I think that the thinker piece is important because that, I don't know, my personal kind of experience in the past and my feelings at the moment are that a lot of our leaders around the world aren't necessarily good thinkers mm. or are good communicators, to be fair. Um, and that's impacting quite a lot on people's trust um, within leaders. And I see it quite a lot with young people as well. If you look at the, the kind of the, the cynicism and everything in there, and I know you've done some work recently around that too. Um, it's a difficult one because you to be somebody who it can be a thought leader, you have to be able to kind of have some kind of expertise or have done some, not necessarily done some work around it, but actually um, physical work, I mean, but like literally had time to read and formulate an opinion on something and be able to defend that opinion if others clash with it. And that clash piece is important because the clashes also help us to move forward as much as the agreement on things. Because mm. um, that's what di diversity is. If it, you wouldn't have diversity if everybody thought the same way. Yes. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, a couple of questions I want to ask you before I wrap up. And one of them is looking back on your um, career so far and you said like you don't feel like you've kind of had a career so far but you've achieved a lot and one of the reasons I set this podcast up is that there are either stages of careers or you you achieve things as you go and they evolve and so I wouldn't dismiss yourself in any kind of that way but I would say kind of looking back so far what do you think are some of the key skills that have helped you to get to where you are today? I'd say the first one is just networking and not even not even networking I don't like that term that sounds so corporate doesn't it like oh um hi what do you do that that dreaded question that you get at every single event um but more building relationships and just being a a like a I wouldn't necessarily say nice but like someone that's approachable someone that you can chat to that is probably the reason why I've got all of the jobs that I've had I'd say in the creative industries, except from the modeling ones. That was just because of how I looked. But let's not talk about that. Um, I was just gonna say you've omitted a modeling career in this. I will, I will let that one slide. I will uh, ask you about that one another time, unless you wanna share it on here now. That, that was brief, no. that was short lived. It's, it's yeah, I, I was too short in, ge in general to really take it big, but it's fine, it's fine. We did some okay. things. Um, okay. 
but <laughs> but yeah it's it's really the building relationships and the networking that has gotten me this far because i'd say like creating an agency i mean that was with my friends and the clients we got those were through people we knew um it was through verification like oh do you know so and so oh what work have they done oh they've done this it was through all of that stuff um, um I, I also work at hype collective um slash hard numbers um both of those um agencies and i got that job through like people who knew me recommending me um just like um connecting with people i think it was on a twitter thread that i made that simon responded to me and then we just had a meeting and then it went from there um mm -hmm. the nhs gigs that we got they were through people we knew um and like how we even got to work with the agencies who were behind their campaigns that was through like the work we'd done on the community investment scheme and it's all it's all sort of building that up and just being someone who you can go and chat to who and not being afraid also to talk to people and to tell them how it is even though like it may not be the nicest thing or it may not be the thing that someone wants to hear at the time because at least people will then respect your opinion and know where they stand with you because that's that's fine um but definitely that is probably the biggest skill that I've gained and the biggest skill that I tell other people to have as well. And not to, and not to treat a network like someone who's going to do something for you to treat a network as like approach it as how can I help this person do what they want to do based on what they've told me that they already do or what they've told me their goals are. Because even if you're, even if you don't have any experience behind you, you still have something to offer. You have loads to offer. You have different perspectives to offer. There was like, um, a, there's always a story that um, like I love of one of my friends, um, Shanice, who started her agency, The Elephant Room, off the back of being an intern at Iris. And her um, then CEO, Dan Saxby, left with her. He left, he was leaving the company. He said, let's leave together. Let's go build an agency to an intern, an intern who had just moved to London. Like that's unheard of. It's crazy. But it happened and now they've worked with like uh, Converse, they've worked with um, Prince's Trust, they've done some great work and um, I've, I've been able to like work with them on a few things as well. They're a great, a great agency um, with a clear purpose, driven, all that sort of stuff. And that's just because Shanice is someone who is constantly stepping out of her comfort zone. It's constantly like meeting new people, chatting to new people having new connections, plugging people, helping people. Mm. And that is how you do it. That's how you, that's how people notice you and then want to help you too. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So the one question that I ask everybody before I wrap up the interview is, um, what advice would you give um, the listeners? Ooh, ah, advice. Um, unsolicited advice to listeners. Um, <laughs> um, I would... I'd probably, I'd probably stick on the theme of like helping people and sort of helping mm -hmm. a, a cause and maintaining that passion to change in a positive way because that is so necessary. I think we've almost lost that in the industry. I mean, it's coming back now, but we've al it's almost like we've lost that. For so many years, we were comfortable with doing the bare minimum as an industry, yeah. myself included. We were comfortable with doing the bare minimum. We were comfortable with having minimal um, tables really shaken, minimal seats added, minimal new tables created. We were comfortable with that. We were comfortable with the status quo. We were comfortable with the quality of the ads being produced. And when anything amazing would come out, we would hail it as a success of the whole industry. 
not of a few people who succeeded in spite of the industry. So we really need to get to, I don't even know if I can say get back to, but we need to get to a place where we're purpose-driven again, where we're actually moving towards something greater than delivering profits for XYZ brand, something more impactful than um, making this ROI um, that was on a, um, on a deliverables deck. Um, we, we, have to, we have to get past that and go towards something that means more than financial gain. And once we do that, then we can start like, uh, I mean, it will make everyone more money as well, honestly. The impact will be the impact will continue and you will just get it will be so much more beneficial than these small small projects here small projects there um even if you're continuing an account with someone like i don't i don't even know whether i'm talking to an agency leader or like to um someone who's just starting a project but like those purpose-driven things that we now see so much of in the industry from ben and jerry's constantly dragging everybody um to try and be better um, accept their views on well actually I'm not even going to get into what they fall on because that will be a whole another conversation for another day um, but like brands like that um, influencers who um, constantly speak out um, people like I don't know uh, Kalechi ok Okafor uh, people like um, I probably butchered her name this is why I'm Yoruba and she's Igbo I think it's a whole different tribe um, in Nigeria but like um, people like um, Shante Joseph people people like that who are constantly like um, like telling people um, how to be better, what to do better, like constantly shifting that needle. People like Tanya Compass and um, um, Toby Curry and people like that, um, like, yeah, who need to, um, we need to be more like them and be, be more, um, yeah, be more helpful, be more um, positively changing in the industry. Like that, and that's a perfect place to, to finish the interview with you today. So, thank you so much for your time today, Josh. I've really enjoyed listening to you, um, sharing your story, but also getting your opinions on stuff. Um, it's, it's nice when a guest comes on and um, shares in that way as well. So, thank you. Thank you very much for having me as well. This has been it's been a cool conversation. Excellent, cool. I'm going to put some links in the show notes through for um, everybody to, to follow up and find out more about the work that you're doing as well. And if you're listening, um, thank you for your time today. Do make sure that you take the time to leave a review if you've enjoyed. Um, and also don't forget to subscribe so that you uh, get the next episodes that are going to be coming in the next few weeks. So bye for now.